This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 414, July the 1st, 1998. In this session, Douglas Murray, Mark Rushdoony, and I will be discussing a subject closely related to what we have been dealing with in the uh, previous hour, which was forgiveness. This time we're going to deal with crime and uh, punishment, which may seem to be a somewhat unrelated subject. However, as we proceed, I think you will see that there is a relationship between the three, uh, between the two. To begin with, there are three uh, common approaches to the problem of dealing with crime. The first, we can summarize as uh, the most uh, commonly held perspective on crime and punishment. People commit a crime, they should be taken to court, they should be imprisoned, may be executed, and uh, if there can be anything done in the process of their imprisonment to rehabilitate them, well and good. Originally, this was the humanistic perspective. When uh, people were sentenced to prison, the prison was built as though it were a monastery. We don't realize that, but the origin of the prison architecture is the monastery. The very names to each uh, unit in the prison are derived from the monastery, the cell, the monk's cell. The whole idea was that somehow society was evil, but the person was good. If you took a person and put him in a cell in isolation from other uh, evil men, the inner light in his being would uh, quickly uh, make a new man out of him. As you can guess, that doctrine is a Quaker one. And the Quakers were the leaders in the movement for the prison system and the healing power of incarceration in a prison cell. Now, of course, in the prison, solitary confinement is the worst punishment, but it was then seen as the healing of a person. His inner light would save him. Of course, later on, all kinds of humanistic, uh, psychotherapeutic ideas were added to the uh, whole idea of the prison system. Uh, psychotherapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, so that uh, some years earlier, the prisons were full of... Uh, people who were there to administer therapy to the various prisoners in the belief that this would be their healing. 
there were variations to the uh, uh, therapy idea and in some instances it was believed that they would be changed by being given vocational training. Uh, this would prepare them for work on the outside world. And a lot of uh, work still exists in a number of prisons, partly because it brings in some revenue. Mm -hmm. The hope in its uh, healing character is not so much there. What uh, one uh, man, a criminologist, pointed out some years ago was that most people were in crime because they enjoyed it and they did not enjoy work. And uh, they could vindicate their position by saying, okay, so in my past 15 years, I've uh, spent three years in prison. But look at it the other way. The rest of the time for a few days of work, occasionally in a month, I lived high on the hog the rest of the time. So the therapeutic value of work uh, failed uh, to uh, be too effective. Uh, there are still some efforts, especially prison farms, but uh, the and the final word is not in on all that, but basically, so far, attempts to find the prison as a healing force and some kind of therapy as wonderful have all been failures. Well, a second uh, method of dealing with crime, as old as history, has been the often brutal punishment of the criminal. And in antiquity and in many parts of the world still, uh, cutting off an arm if the man is a thief, and a wide variety of other brutal forms of punishment have been used and are still being used in the hopes that it will solve crime. Of course, it does limit a pickpocket if he has lost his right hand. But the fact is that the criminals who have, uh, in these countries, Islamic in particular, lost their right hand, uh, their behavior has not improved. They go to find work with white men who are immediately sick at heart at what has been done to them and will give them work and then cannot find it in their heart to turn them in if they start stealing from them. And these uh, criminals know that these people from Christian countries are too soft-hearted to report a man who will lose his other hand and die. So uh, brutal punishment of all kinds has been tried again and again. It does not change men because as long as they're alive, they want to earn a living in some way other than honesty.
Uh, well, the third method, and then we can start discussing the general subject of how should crime be dealt with, is the biblical one. God says there must be restitution. No imprisonment system. In the Bible, prisons were only to hold a man pending trial. And this Christendom adopted to an increasing extent until the prison system was revived or created, rather, by modern humanism. In terms of this, you had to make restitution which depended on the severity of the crime. If you stole a hundred dollars, to give a current example, you would have to restore two hundred. The hundred you stole and be penalized another hundred. And if you could not restore it, you were sold as a, a bond servant, a slave worker, until you repaid it. This meant, of course, that it could be, as in the modern world, temporary incarceration. Uh, you worked during the day, you reported to the uh, place of uh, detention at night, and uh, you got a regular check which went to the person whom you offended or robbed. And when you had repaid them in full, then you were released. Now, this has proven to be a very successful means of coping with crime. There is a high rate of change in the lives of people who follow restitution and who are told this is the biblical, the God-ordained method. So it creates a totally different perspective. Thus we have three perspectives on crime and how it is to be dealt with. We today follow the humanistic method introduced into the Western world by the Quakers and we have lost faith in it. We are building more and more prisons and filling them as rapidly as we fill them. Now I'd like to hear from you men on these subjects. Don't all speak at once. <laughs> it's a big subject, I know. Could I ask a question? How do the Quakers uh, have their theories, their ideas, taken over by the government? They're, they are a minority, The I Quakers thought. were renaissance in their thinking. They believed in man and his essential goodness and in the inner light, supposedly a bit of divinity or a bit of God in every man, and therefore they were in effect saying, put a man in solitary confinement and you're turning him over to the God in him to rule him. And of course it has proven to be anything but so. 
or the first classification you get could almost be made into two because it's almost two separate um, ideas. One, uh, the penitentiary to make men penitent and sorry for their sins. And then the, the other one that you kind of grouped in the same category is the reformatory. It seems like it's really two different, uh, two different goals. One to make men sorry f for what they did and to think about what they did, and the other to to actually reform them. And I can see how the humanists and the psychiatrists got very involved in this century in really trying to uh, turn uh, penitentiaries into reformatories. And of course, that hasn't worked. It, it almost seems as though now we're just going to kind of a um, we've acknowledged they're just basically holding. <laughs> cells to keep people off the streets because they, they pretty much acknowledge that uh, they're going to go back to crime when they get out. The idea now is just get them off the streets and the public seems to have this desire to get these people off the streets and so the question is what do you do with them? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, you know, that's, it's a politics uh, aspirin tablet uh, in order to buy votes. Um, the uh, rehabilitation, it seems to me, is uh, the secular humanism's substitute for repentance. Yes, uh, and, and conversion. Yeah, and, and it doesn't work. Uh, you know, we spend an enormous amount of money in this country in uh, the penal system, and all of the uh, counselors and psychiatrists and consultants and so forth in this field, and they've accomplished absolutely nothing. Uh, that I can see in my lifetime. Uh, the, uh, the brutality level is not dropped in prison. The, uh, the types of crimes being committed are uh, as bad or worse than anything I've ever seen in my lifetime. And the numbers uh, increase right along with the population. But yet they won't admit defeat. Uh, you know, they have uh, thrown out this aspirin tablet of building more prisons to sweep the problem under the rug, yeah. but uh, they go on their merry way uh, without really addressing the problem. Well, their problem is that they they can't change people, and they don't have any answers. I mean, you can't you prison doesn't change people. If anything, it makes them more confirmed in their ways, and it just gives them an education in crime. They can't change people, so they don't have an answer. And yet, as society goes downhill, it's all well and good to say we're going to reform people or we're going to give them therapy when you have a relatively small prison population. You can experiment and fail quite a few times. Now our prison population is so large, and they're under pressure to put more people behind bars, but they know that they aren't really going to change them. So it's still the same talk about this program and that program and improving their self-worth. and. Now they're in programs and trying to prevent kids from going into jail by scaring them or having them visit a prison or one thing or another, but they can't change people and therefore they're going to end up sending more people to prison if they can't change them. And they know increasingly, and some judges have admitted this, that prisons are schools for crime and they are horrifying places that uh, homosexual rape is commonplace in prison and all kinds of gangs govern in the uh, prison so that uh, the guards themselves are afraid of the prisoners and it leads the guards to be more and more brutal. As one Christian told me, the level of brutality 
was scary on both sides of the bars. And uh, he found it very, very difficult to get along with the other guards because he could not tolerate their brutality. And yet he knew that the prisoners were vicious. Well, this jungle law, survival of the fittest, and uh, uh, that's that's what rules. There's no yes. law. There's no law in the in the uh, prison system. Well, the fact that uh, the prisoners can get what they want in prison if they have the money, and narcotics is commonplace in prison, indicates that it is a society that has power and can rule over the guards to a certain extent. And so there is some give and take there in order to stay alive. Even restitution, though, can't work when you have a very large prison population in a completely lawless society. Nothing really works when, when society starts breaking down. Um, essentially, you have to reform people, and the only way you can reform people is is through the Christian faith. People have to be changed from inside, and that's going to have a slow improvement on society, but it's going to be very, very slow. So there's, there's no cure-all for crime and punishment, even from a Christian perspective, because the only... The humanists are right in one sense, we have to make people better. But the only way you can make people better is to convert them and to change their behavior from, from within. They won't allow well, that to happen, though. What I, that? I, you know, I often wonder at how slowly man seems to uh, learn and how easily he discards the wisdom of history, the lessons learned from history and the wisdom of the past. And I wonder how long it's going to be and how much misery, how much human misery has to be suffered and how much cost has to be borne before society finally realizes there's only one way that works. It it's absolutely astounds me that, uh, you know, the secular humanists have tried everything in the wor world at enormous, stupendous cost to society, and yet they absolutely will not buckle. They will not... Uh, say that maybe there's another way, you know, maybe there's something to uh, having a strict moral code, uh, a biblical uh, biblical law, something that wor that works. This past week I was, I was thinking about our society and our cultural breakdown. Clinton made, was visiting China and he made a public statement to the effect that, that the United States deplores the brutality of the Tiananmen Square mm. massacre. The response of his hosts were that it was necessary to preserve the order that they had. And it did accomplish that. It preserved the order. And I thought, well, looking as they are at the United States, in our crime, our immorality, we're talking about the rights of the people. We're talking still democracy like this was, you know, 1898, and democracy was this wonderful thing that's going to solve all people, all people's problems. Well, look at what, you know, this democracy and just the pure rights of the people outside of a moral ethic has given us. 
drugs, pornography, uh, vulgarity at all levels of society. Our culture isn't very pretty when you're on the outside looking in. It's not very pretty from here. And um, thinking of that as, you know, what does Clinton have to brag about? What have pure rights outside of a biblical ethic in a, in a Christian society, what have they really gotten us? Well, the Chinese leaders must have had to ex exert enormous self-control, not to laugh in his face. Yes. You know, what, 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 uh, does he represent? Yeah, what moral... Uh, 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 you know, position can we maintain? I mean, what's the difference between the guy standing in front of the the uh, the Chinese tank in Tiananmen Square and sending tanks in to kill women and children in Waco, Texas? Nobody's going to jail. There are obviously wrongful deaths involved. No government official has been blamed. No government official has been held accountable. And that's what's got people upset in this country. You know, not a lot of people talk about it. And if they do, they're immediately marginalized as being fringe lunatics. But the issue is uh, the same. How can we tell the Chinese that they shouldn't uh, run over people with tanks in Tiananmen Square when we killed 80 or 90 women and children who weren't holding guns, weren't pointing them at anybody, were no menace to, to anybody? Uh, how can we tell them that that's wrong? The Chinese must have, uh, you know, laughed at them. Well, in terms of biblical law, a habitual criminal, old or young, died. He was executed. And we adopted that in this country back in the colonial period and had it until the 70s, although after World War II it barely functioned. When I was young, the habitual criminal was routinely executed. This prevented a criminal class from developing because if you knew that on uh, the third or fourth offense you were dead, even though it was a crime involving practically nothing of great value, it made a difference. We were creating a Christian society <coughs> by eliminating the lawless element that was at war with the rest of society. Now, we put out something like 50,000 or better a year to take care of each prisoner, better than the average American has in income. And the cost is continually rising. So he is a favored person, however brutal the life in prison, because he is well cared for and he is subsidized by the law-abiding people of the community. Now, that was not uh, the purpose of biblical law. Biblical law worked to eliminate the habitual criminal and to strengthen godliness in a society so that you could live happily, freely, without fearfulness. And as long as we had the remnant of the old order, even though we had the prison system, and did execute habitual criminals to a reasonable degree. In a good deal of the United States, when I was growing up, it was not common that anyone locked their doors at night or when they left, because thefts were rare. But we have a totally different world now. 
and people not only lock their doors but are well armed because they need to be. Well, you you drive down in the uh, Central Valley and uh, Stockton, Modesto, and so forth, and there's a thriving business uh, in putting up bars, and uh, you know around people you know, over people's windows and and mm -hmm. cages at their entrance of their front yes. door and so forth. And this is something that came from Central America. Uh, they call them grillos down there. Uh, and, you know, I never saw that when I was a kid growing up, even in San Francisco, which was, uh, you know, supposedly a wild town. You didn't see people with bars in their front doors yeah. and windows. It just didn't exist. But, you know, our criminal justice system has gone, is going around in circles. Because when I was a kid growing up, I remember a phrase called the three-time loser. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. a guy committed three felonies, he went inside and stayed inside. He didn't get out. He went in for the rest of his life. So this so-called three strikes you're out is nothing new. This is just recycling uh, an already failed uh, attempt at solving the problem, which has never really been addressed effectively. Mm -hmm. You know, every 30 years, I guess it comes back like a, a bad penny. Well, we have a growing problem. That's why the subject of crime and its punishment is so important. Because we're not facing up to it from a biblical perspective. And the churches have no answer if they do not preach the law of God. If they are antinomian, if they have the cheap doctrine of forgiveness, which is an emotional thing, just saying, well, I forgive you whether you're repentant or not. I forgive you. Uh, go your way uh, knowing they'll sin some more. You've given them a license. Oh, it, it's only going to go from bad to worse. Well, the, the, the churches um, uh, simply, uh, you know, for want of a better term, have lost their backbone, and they have succumbed to the herd mentality. They have the answer. They've had the ha answer for 2,000 years, but they're afraid now to put it out there because they're terrified of getting out of lockstep with the secular humanists and, and the society at large because they're afraid that they'll disappear. Everybody will stay home. In one major church not too long ago, there was some concern and a discussion of homosexuality that no one used a word in the discussion that in any way reflected any unkind or unsympathetic or any unloving feelings about these people. Now, when you have that kind of evasion of reality, when these people are ready to call themselves mm -hmm. uh, queers and gays and whatnot, we are pretty far gone as churches and something needs to be done about it before the church is too irrelevant for God to tolerate it any longer. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it seems to me irrelevant if it can't uh, change the tide back the other way. I mean, it's irrelevant by definition if it no longer preaches the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if it no longer uh, is willing to uh, uh, promote God's law. It's, it's irrelevant by definition. We have a world crisis developing because of 
the inability of men and nations to cope with this problem of crime and punishment. What is happening is that the um, approach of the Islamic world, which has been the approach of many cultures other than Islamic, has begun to lose force in the Far East and Africa and elsewhere, uh, apart from and outside the mis Islamic world. Instead, the humanistic model, the prison system, uh, has increasingly developed in one area after another, and it is definitely uh, revolutionizing uh, countries because countries that because of their traditional religion did not have a major problem of crime now have it as their old religion is giving way to Western humanism. And so they are beginning to develop a vast network of prisons, a vast world of criminals who are ex-convicts, are divided up into gangs that terrorize the civilian population. So the whole world is increasingly beginning to look like us. They have a problem with crime, with criminal gangs, with a prison system creating uh, a network of, uh, well, uh, recruiting stations for criminal gangs. Gangs are now worldwide to an unprecedented degree. So these nations have nowhere to look uh, to for guidance except the United Nations. And the United Nations, of course, as it addresses itself to the problem of crime, uh, does so in terms of the dying hope and therapeutic well, the United Nations, you know, now wants a world court to punish yes. people in all countries. It wants the power, it, uh, it wants judicial power uh, over all countries in the world. And uh, they, uh, you know, we, our, our political leaders talk about uh, exporting democracy to other countries, and it's, it, from the other country's perspective, it's really... Uh, do, uh, you know, our word democracy, what we mean by it is something different than how they perceive it. Uh, they're, we're exporting secular humanism to countries that, in many cases that don't want it. We had the case of a soldier whose last name was New, N-E-W, who refused uh, to be absorbed into a United Nations unit and was given an honor a dishonorable discharge. Now, in one area after another, we are trying to internationalize law and the courts. So, uh, with this belief in uh, the prison system and the e efficacy of therapy, uh, we're in for major trouble until the Christian community wakes up in this country. This is the key. It can come from nowhere else. We are almost alone in uh, advocating uh, restitution 
rather than the prison system. A few people here and there have picked up on the idea, and even they are, in some instances, unwilling to admit that uh, they first heard of it through us. And uh, they're ready to be critical of us for no reason at all in order to say uh, we're not uh, a part of that group. Well, they send representatives, you know, to this country to tour the prison system to see how we do it. Uh, you would think that they would be embarrassed <laughs> to yes. copy something that's, that's not working. Yes. Well, we uh, have a problem in that uh, more and more methods of avoiding the consequences of the prison, prison system are being used. We have nearest here, of course, for mostly young people who have uh, been guilty of a very minor offense to work out their uh, prison term on the uh, fire lines, cleaning up litter along highways, and so on. However, we don't get any good statistics on how well this uh, works. Do you know anything about it? It's, uh, it, it, uh, percentage-wise, they do better uh -huh. uh, than the, the rest of the prison system as far as recidivism rate, but I think it's more because they're young, uh, and, ha you know, and perhaps have uh, the capacity to change rather than older, hardened criminals who are probably not going to change. Uh, I've talked to some of them. Uh, you know, because they work along the front of the highway frontages and so forth, and uh, a lot of them, uh, you uh, get the feeling that uh, this is the first time that they've ever done any manual labor in their entire lives, mm -hmm. and uh, it feels good. They like work because it gives them a sense of self-worth for the first time in their lives, mm -hmm. rather than just you know, bouncing around the streets in some major city. And uh, they like it. And uh, it, it's simple, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a simple uh, uh, method, but um, they feel that uh, they're taking part in the community when they go out and put out these fires. And uh, uh, they feel uh, almost like heroes. And it's the first time they've ever had that feeling in their lives. One garage owner told me he had a Coke machine outside, and uh, I, I don't know how these machines are, but uh, you couldn't uh, get to the bottles except by uh, putting uh, your coin in, and then the bottle came out, and you uncapped it. Well, what they did somehow was to figure out a way to uncap them while they were still in the machine <laughs> and with straws drained everything in the machine. So <laughs> he was very, very upset. The, uh, I was going to say that California, the name of the organization is the California Conservation Corps, and strangely enough, it was something that uh, was uh, Jerry Brown's uh, brainchild 
but he didn't know what to what to have them do. He didn't know really what tasks they should perform. Yeah. And uh, somebody, uh, not him, came up with the idea of attaching them to the California Division of Forestry where they could actually do some, some useful uh, work. And uh, that seems to be the metamorphosis of it. Unfortunately, the work they do is only for the government. You can't hire a prison work crew to work on your private property. In fact, they're forbidden by law from working on private property. So they'll go along a creek, uh, let's say in the city limits where the property is public property, government uh, city property, and they'll clean the berry vines that are choking the creek so people can have some access to the creek for fishing and swimming. But when they, they have to stop whenever they get to um, private. private property. You can't even hire them out. And they are actually, they can accomplish a tremendous, a, a work crew of 20 or 25 guys can accomplish a tremendous amount of work with hand tools. They, on the fire lines, they have to uh, cut fire lines where uh, dozers can't go. And these guys can clear a swath of however wide they're told to do it, but they can go a 10 or 12 foot swath through brush down to bare earth in, in an amazing amount of time. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of energy there that's sitting in prisons that could be used for private purposes. Um, if they could be used on private property for things other than government work. And of course, the government doesn't do anything too efficiently. They'll pay these guys a dollar or so an hour, maybe less, and this accumulates so they have a little bit of money when they get out of, of prison. But basically, it's a service provided to the government, theoretically, to the, the public. If you had mentioned earlier on that there was a time when people worked, were paid for it, but their check was given as yes. far as restitution to, to the victim of the crime, well, private... Um, private individuals, companies, and so forth could get a lot of benefit out of these work crews if they could hire them and then some of their wages could go to the victims of the crime. That could, that could be a, a, a system that could be developed. We have a tremendous amount of manpower out there that is being underutilized. Now, if, again, there are a few states that have gone back to the old, um, what do they call road chain gangs? Gang. Chain road gangs. Gang. They, yes. They've actually gone back to that. Again, it's mostly public, public works type projects, but there's a tremendous potential that could be done with these tens of thousands of mostly young men who are, who are sitting in prison doing nothing. To me, that's another sign of frustration on the part of government's uh, inability to solve the crime problem because they keep recycling the same, you know, like the three strikes you're out and the three-time loser, the road gangs were endemic in the South uh, in the 20s and 30s, and now they're coming back again. So it just seems like they go around in a circle. A lot of times I think Christians are afraid to admit with the humanists that putting a man in prison, giving him nothing to do but just serve time, is, is a rather um, cruel and meaningless thing. To, to, to make somebody's existence meaningless mm -hmm. just so they have to pass time is totally non-constructive. It's, it's, it's not you know, going back to the monastery thing, it's not a compliment. They, aren't, they don't become penitent, they don't get reformed doing that. So if they're going to serve time, they might as well be forced to do productive work. 
and there's a tremendous amount that could be done there and there's a demand for it because either we spend billions of dollars building more prisons or we put the existing people to work and something we found in the prison that's just across the hill which by the way only has a barbed wire fence around it most of these guys are within a year or a year and a half of getting out so they want to behave themselves very rarely unless they have like a girlfriend problem and do they ever walk away from there but they're very it, it's kind of the a privilege to be where they can actually go out and, and fight these fires it, it's considered a, a real privilege so if you're in this prison you're you know that that's a that's a plum if you're going to be in the prison system and they enjoy it i know one person who was in the prison over the hill over the hill here who when he got out joined our fire department as a volunteer was a volunteer for some time and uh he since has moved over into another county, but he's trying to get on as a volunteer over there. He's got a job in, as a working for a contractor, but he wants to. Uh, what he did as a prison crew member, he now wants to do on a volunteer basis because it gave him a sense of accomplishment. And he he learned how to do something, and he learned how to do it well. Well, there's something to be said for work then. Yeah. Um, Prison is not the answer. It's uh, uh, people finding something that they can do, and uh, that should be the direction of the tear all the prisons down and uh, put them into some kind of a work program where they can make restitution, learn something. Uh, the rehabilitation efforts, it seemed to me, were all directed toward counseling. You know, they created a lot of bureaucratic positions for counselors and psychiatrists and so forth but we know what the problem is you know we don't need to hire these guys to figure out what the problem is we need a solution and uh, obviously the triple C has been a solution for a large percentage of the youth that are put into it I think one of the problems we have today is that most of our uh, legislation, as you indicated earlier, uh, Douglas, is prompted by uh, mob feelings, uh, not religious reflection, religious premises. So they're ready to go for the death penalty or against it on grounds that are not basically uh, uh, biblical, just because they feel this way and that way, or they know of somebody who committed such and such a crime, and so on and so forth. So we have an unprincipled population coming up with unprincipled conclusions, which sometimes can be on the right side, but are not... Uh, based on premises that are going to last, that are going to stand up with time. So it's all the more urgent for Christians to wake up to their responsibility here. And it will never happen until they stop treating the Bible as a book full of pious gush instead of God's law word, command word, that they have to obey and act in terms of. So 
the common reaction uh, to anything you tell them that is from the Bible is, well, I don't think so, or my church doesn't teach that. It's not biblical. They're not saying, God said it, I believe it. Now, that used to be a common saying. No more. You rarely hear anyone saying, well, God said it, and I believe it. Well, when Christians are going to have to demand that their churches comply with God's law word, I mean, that's, you know, if it's just going to be a social club, they're going to go there, play the guitar and dance and have a good time. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to make any progress. Yes. Well, I was very heartsick when I heard not too long ago that uh, one of the better men in a particular church, uh, a, a leader in that particular denomination, the big issue with him is expanding worship to increase uh, its appeal to people. And one of the things he wants to include is uh, some kind of dancing as a part of the worship service. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm laughing, but uh, when I first heard it, I felt heartsick. Well, it's it's no fault religion, you know. Uh, yes. It's uh, uh, if there if people don't know what the law is, then there, as far as they're concerned, there's no laws to break, and uh, it's no fault religion. It's cheap religion. It leads people down the wrong path until, you know, the church is not going to, ch is going to be changed by the people in it. It's going to be changed from the bottom up. People can't wait for the pastor to get a sudden revelation that, you know, he's going down the wrong road. It's the people are going to have to demand it. That's, you know, that's the only thing that's going to turn the church around. If the church can turn around, then perhaps society can turn around, but it's going to start with the people themselves. Yes. Well, this church leader I mentioned is a good moral man. He's an able man. But since he does not believe in God's law and just sees as uh, salvation saying yes to Jesus and uh, doing a little prayer and a little Bible reading and going to church uh, retreats and meetings, what can you expect? He's taken the heart of the faith out of the Bible. And it's not surprising that the atonement is a kind of abstract doctrine to him. He believes it, but it's not the stuff that uh, good preaching is made up of. He wants people to line up for Jesus, to go forward, to say yes to the church, and so on. And uh, I think it adds up to a very shallow kind of uh, position. Well, it's not, it's not religion, it's groupthink. No. Yes, <laughs> yes. And there's too much of that in the church today. Well, you know, we've often discussed in these tapes uh, uh, that, you know, things are in pretty bad shape and uh, we need to focus uh, our attention on things that people can do to take positive steps to uh, to seek some remedy 
And, uh, you know, I'll say it again, it's up to people. All revolutions start from the bottom up. They don't start from the top down. I mean, uh, just a cursory inspection of the history, uh, you learn that lesson. Uh, if you want a reformation, uh, a, uh, a religious revival, it's going to come from the bottom up because to, to in, that's, that's, the, uh, that's what revolution is in religious terms. And uh, the, the, the uh, religious revolution is going to have to come from the bottom up. People themselves are going to have to demand that their church leaders give them what's in the Bible. Uh, nothing else has worked. Uh, any, anybody who has been around long enough to, to see all of the foibles that man has, has uh, been laboring under just within one lifetime, let alone ten lifetimes, are going back and looking at all the mistakes that have been made in history, uh, you know, with this crime and punishment. I mean, Stalin died in bed, you know, he killed probably more people than anybody else in history. Uh, it hasn't worked. So why not give it a try? But they're going to have to demand it in their church, their local church, that their pastor complies with God's law word. If they can't get that done, then nothing's going to change. So there is a positive thing that people can do to take hold of the situation in their lives within their sphere of influence and do something positive to turn things around. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. It's not going to be their pastor's not going to do it by himself because many of them simply don't have the courage. Uh, they are so overwhelmed by this herd mentality, they're afraid to be isolated on the fringe or marginalized or made fun of, and they're terrified. They're terrified by their congregations because their congregations are wandering around like uh, uh, animals in a pasture, like sheep, lost sheep in a pasture because there's no leadership. But uh, people, the, you know, if they want to turn it around, they're going to have to do it themselves. There's no other answer for it. About half a century ago, I spent a couple of days with a young man who was perhaps 10 years older than I and had been in prison for most of his adult life. It was very interesting because the world of the prison was very much his community, his hometown. He had just been released and he was a bit unhappy because uh, he'd been released before he was uh, able to play a, a ball game with another prison in which he was going to pitch. And uh, I realized that talking to him, he had more loyalty to the group that he belonged to in that prison, which was a big state prison, than most people have to their hometown or to their church or to their extended family. That was his uh, people, his group. He was very much a part of it. Every now and then I think about him. I've forgotten his name. But I think about what he said and the loyalties he had. What is happening is that the criminal world is 
in some ways becoming better organized than the lawful world. The ties are stronger, the loyalties are stronger. The group you belong to, the racial or criminal group you belong to, commands you. You respect it. And your loyalties deepen because on the outside, they're your friends. They help you. They're ready to absorb you into a group or a, of some sort or another, not a lawful group. And meanwhile, in the world of the legitimate, the old ties are breaking down. The old loyalties of church and uh, nationality and uh, family groups no longer command people. They're becoming more and more anarchistic individuals. So you are having the underworld, as it were, becoming more and more a cohesive group than are we. And I think the only answer to that is a return to the Word of God, to His law. Well, the, 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 uh, this is a, a primitive uh, instinct on the part of the criminal groups because they know the one lesson that every species on earth knows in numbers their strength. Um, nobody wants to be isolated. No one wants to be, uh, you know, it's the same thing as the herd mentality. Uh, you take a horse or a sheep or anything else and they're terrified when they get out by themselves because they know they're vulnerable to attack by a predator. Uh, their natural instinct is to get together with the rest of the herd because they know that numbers are strength and the criminals know the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's their support group. It becomes their family, just like the young kids in the in the uh, inner city that become members of gangs. Mm -hmm. If if they're if they don't have any uh, natural family, the the gang becomes their family. They want to be accepted into a group. They want to become part of a group because they feel that they're uh, they're safe there. But you know, Christianity has got to be a an extended family for people. Uh, but in order for it to work, uh, they have to get back to the basics. Mm -hmm. For the benefit of our listeners, I will remind them that you have a background in law enforcement, so you know wherever you speak. Yes. Our time is up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you.